Good evening, one and all. Welcome to episode 31 of the Archery Geek Outdoors podcast. So, how are all you beautiful people out there in podcast land? I hope you're warmer than we've been here in the UK. I mean, we're in the last week of May, and we've been struggling to get into double digits for temperature some days. Now, bear in mind for those of you listening, especially in the States, I know you measure in Fahrenheit, we measure in Celsius, but even then, some days we've been struggling to get above mid-40s, and it absolutely kills me when it's cold. I bloody hate it. I mean, this time last year, we were high teens, low 20s, glorious sunshine all day long through that first lockdown. The weather was amazing. Just a shame we couldn't go anywhere to enjoy it. Anyway, like I say, it's been cold and the polar bears frosty bits here. This week, we look as though we're warming up, starting to get to the mid to high teens, probably. Actually, that's about Prince Andrew's favourite, isn't it? Mid to high teens. <laughs> anyway, this is my second attempt at recording this episode. First attempt I did last Tuesday. And, you know, I always waffle on that. I should have more notes, better notes, or even a full script. I actually tried scripting this for last Tuesday. What a god-awful fucking mistake that was. It sounded like such an utter shit show. I think I'd got about 20 minutes into recording, wasn't happy with it, listened to it back, and what a freaking shambles. I just, working from a full script, I just couldn't get my flow. And it I know I, I say so many times it sounds a little bit disjointed, but... Maybe disjointed is the wrong word. Maybe I should say disorganised. At least there normally seems to be some kind of flow to it. When I recorded last Tuesday, it was actually just an utter, utter shit show. Oh my God, here's me with my potty mouth again. I was talking to Andy and Nick at the club on Saturday and said something about, you're going to get somebody offended by my use of profanity. And Nick actually piped up with something, it had me in stitches. So got my phone out, set the voice recorder and got it to record it. So this is Nick's opinion on if you're offended. If easily offended, why the fuck are you listening to a field archer? So thank you for that, Nick. If you are offended, you know what to do with a hate mail, don't you? Outdoors at gmail.com You can get me on Twitter at A underscore G underscore Outdoors or Archery Geek Outdoors on Instagram. Send it through, folks. I could do with a giggle. Anyway, I'd better crack on. First off, I've got to say a massive thank you to Chelsea and Mark for agreeing to come on to episode 30. We had an absolute blast recording it. If you haven't listened to it yet, go back and have a listen as soon as you've finished listening to this one. It really was a shit ton of fun to record. Anyway, on to the subject of tonight's podcast. Yeah, no, no, here we go, all over the shop again. Like I say, Tuesday was just so disjointed. Thought I'd have a go at re-recording it Thursday night. 
same again just wasn't really wasn't working from the script it was awful thought right friday night i'll have a go just bullet pointing it and then i got distracted as is my want and i do so very often sat there friday night about say right about say to the half right i'm gonna go and try and record this and i get a notification from podbean that wobbly arrow had just put up a new episode so thank you jimmy and justin your friday night fuckery meant i didn't record on friday night brad it was a hoot listening to theirs anyway as it always is right so here we go tuesday no monday fucking hell it's monday there's me thinking it's tuesday oh god if only it were it mean i'll be shooting again tomorrow tonight's podcast just going to be going through how i'm shooting now we're back in the woods now, if you remember from episode 29, I'd been fortunate enough that Anthony and Stephanie had managed to locate a V-lock wrist strap from a thumb button release in the States and shipped it over. First time I tried it out, what a damn revelation. The way I like to shoot the thumb button is I don't want to punch the trigger. And when I can get shooting it right, things are so good. What I do is I'll get to my anchor point, wrap my thumb around. Now, this is a little bit awkward to do. Lock the thumb. But as I pull through the shot, keep the fingers relaxed so it drives the button into my thumb and breaks the shot. I'm not punching it. I'm not commanding it. And first time I tried this with this wrist strap on, which took away the mental fear of the release flying out of my hand, I'd been going through the various Joel Turner videos on YouTube and his one big thing was don't worry about where the arrow's going to hit, worry about making a perfect shot. And the first time on the practice field and then round the woods, this was all I was worrying about and just making that perfect shot and... About 90% of the shots I made broke exactly as I wanted them to. No punching the trigger, just let that hand stretch and the shot break. And the best resource I can recommend for watching that, how this actually works, a guy named Chase runs a YouTube channel called Somewhere in Wisconsin. And it's a mixture of everything from archery through wildfowl in that kind of stuff some of his archery videos he's actually got close-ups and slow-mos of his shots breaking and you can see this whole thing of the hand stretching and like i say first first year on the practice field and first round in the woods 90 percent of my shots i got this lovely break and I wasn't worrying about where the shots landed. I just wanted to make these really, really good shots. And I found got to be more than 80% of the shots broke like that broke like this. The arrow hit right behind the pin. I was absolutely freaking stoked at this. So much so that on the Saturday evening when I got home, I found Simon Thomas and... I was absolutely buzzing. I think I was half screaming down the phone at him about what had happened, about when I wasn't worrying where the arrows were going to land, when I was just concentrating on making that perfect shot. 
shit just came together. And his response to me was, congratulations, you've just discovered how an instinctive archer shoots. <laughs> anyway, back at Paget on the Wednesday night, I decide I'm not going to go around the woods. I'm just going to stand on the practice field and work on this shot technique. So I did a few on a very short boss, say very short, probably seven, eight yards, that's all. And I found on certain shots, I couldn't relax my hand. My hand was locking up and I'd be pushing and pulling so hard that I'd end up punching the trigger. And because I'm pushing so hard, I'd heal the bow and the shot would go high. And if you could see me now, I'm sat here miming what I was bloody doing. That must look like a right special case. Anyway, I decided to move on to some longer distance practice. And from the edge of the grass on the practice field to we've got an old six foot three D bear target at the bottom end of the practice field. Just about, I think it's 50.1 yards. Drop Jamie's rangefinder on it in 50.1 yards. So I'm working on this shot process and I'm still getting this problem of my fingers not relaxing and punching it. When this happens, I'm getting frustrated and I'm starting to worry about where I'm hitting. And when I'm doing that at 50 yards, I'm putting a 6 to 12 inch grouping, which is bloody awful. When things go right and I don't worry about where it's hitting, my hand, re- you know, when my hand relaxes, I stop worrying about where it's hitting, the shot breaks. And I was putting in one and two inch groups at 50 yards, which really is shooting a compound. It's what I should be doing. Anyway, I remember watching one of Cam Haynes' videos and he said, always finish on a high. So when you've shot a good group, a good end, finish there. But you know what it's like when you're shooting, how addictive it gets and how you're always wanting to see improvement. So I carry on shooting. My shoulder's fatiguing. I'm starting to get tired. I'm getting all kinds of bent out of shape in my head when things won't go right. And it ends up, I've got one where no matter how hard I'm pushing and pulling, it won't go. I pull a little bit harder, punch the trigger, and I must have talked my body as the shot broke. Of course, it went about a foot right of the bear into the bosses and pallets we've got stacked and broke the arrow. And I thought, right, that's it. I'm going back to the the wrist rocket release. When I shoot the index finger release, because I can't quite get the stinger release quite short enough, and my D-loop's a little long at the moment, I can't get that perfect pull through. So it's, I'd say, about 25% pull and 75% slow squeeze. And the consistency's there with it. So I decided on the Saturday, I'm going to shoot just the index finger release and things are better. This was why I stopped shooting the thumb button release. Uh, Was it 2019 I stopped shooting it? Because when I shot it well, I shot really, really well. But I was lacking that consistency. And I mean, it wasn't for want of practice. Back then I shot it exclusively for six months. I never touched the index finger release because my way of thinking rightly or wrongly we know archer is about consistency 
and if I'm bouncing backwards and forwards from one release to the other, I've got no consistency. You know, from what you see with a lot of archers, I'm they're the polar opposites. Let me know your opinions. What do you think? You know, should I just stick to one and truly master that, or bounce between one or the other? If you've got any thoughts or opinions on it, archerygeekoutdoors at gmail.com, Twitter at a underscore g underscore outdoors, or DM me on Instagram, archerygeekoutdoors. Anyway, the following Wednesday, I decided I'd give it one last shot with the thumb button release. So I was the only one at the club on the Wednesday night. Went round to the standing bear target in the woods. Again, it's a six foot tall target. I'm shooting from 45 yards and I'm lacking the consistency. The more I shoot, the less the less my hand, my release hand, wants to seem to relax and stretch and let that shot break. And that just gets me worrying about where the arrows are going to hit and my shot process just breaks down. So as of the moment, I've consigned the thumb button release to the bits of draw and I'm back to full-time shooting the index release. One thing I have changed shooting the index release is something that came naturally shooting the thumb button release. When I drew with the index finger release, I was doing a straight T draw with elbow kept flat. Shooting the thumb button, because my hand was almost inverted, I drew with a slightly higher elbow. Now, I know a lot of people had said when you use a handheld release, it seems to, the bow seems lighter, the draw seems lighter. So, with the index finger release, I tried raising that elbow slightly, and Christ, I'm doing it here again, miming what I'm bloody doing. Jesus, you'd be pissing yourself if you could see me. Keeping that slightly higher elbow as I draw, it seems to engage the, now is it the delta or the traps? I think it's the delta and the rhomboids earlier and make drawing easier and allow me to settle back into my anchor a lot quicker. The only thing I'm noticing, and I'm having to work on this at the moment with some interesting <laughs> results, is keep drawing with a consistent pressure against that back wall. And if I think I've got too much back pressure, I tend to ease off until she starts to come over and then just come back into the that back wall, set a nice deep hook with my index finger around the trigger. And then, as I say, just move that elbow back and squeeze at the same time until the shot breaks, trying my hardest not to punch the trigger or command shoot it. So I, I was trawling the internet looking at different index finger releases. I'd looked at things like the true ball execution with a gobo swivel. That's ridiculous money. 185 quid. I'd looked at the B3 Hawk, the Spot Hog, Wise Guy release. And then I was listening to Garrett Weaver's On Point podcast with Paige Pierce. She was so good on that. She's got such a passion for archery and it really, really shines through. Especially when she was talking to Garrett on his podcast. Anyway, back to why this is relevant to me looking at different index finger releases. For years and years, Paige Pierce shot index finger releases and she shot them 
properly using back tension, not punching the triggers. And they were talking about the different index finger releases. Apparently, a lot of these are either single sear or spring operated. And the problem with a single sear or a spring operation, she was saying, is that when you draw the bow, it loads up the weight. So, you know, you might set your trigger, if it's got an adjustable trigger weight, to just a pound. But when you're at full draw and that weight's on it, it actually becomes a lot heavier. And what she was saying that was you either need sear and a half or double sear to isolate the operation from the weight of the bow. And there are apparently very few of these. So I went looking through a lot of the UK archery stores at their index finger releases. And yeah, there are very few you can actually find that are sear and a half or double sear so you don't get that load on the trigger when you're at full draw and what i found really frustrating going through this was a lot of the descriptions are just copied and pasted from the manufacturer's website you know there's no honest appraisal in there of what they're like and so many of them claim to have match grade triggers and then you're you read and it's a single seer and going back to what page face was saying to garrett on his podcast she actually emailed all the manufacturers about their releases looking for information and she reckons there's maybe four or five in total out of all all of the you look at the number of index finger releases that are manufactured there's a huge amount of them But when she spoke to all the manufacturers about each of the releases, said there's possibly only four or five that you really could say have got a true competition-grade trigger. And I say the Execution GS by Trueball was one of them. Uh, The Carter-like Mike. And having gone through all the different forums of folks discussing these and how they work, how they operate. Uh, I think it was a Carter 2 shot came up a couple of times and very few others. Now, the one that I had been looking at that I really liked the look of was the B3 Hawk, but that's only a single sear. Although what does draw me to that is Kellen from Inside Out Precision. He shoots one of those as his index release And Kellen tends to be very, very honest in a lot of his videos. You know, he's not sponsored by them, so he can give his honest opinion. And a lot of the problems with YouTube videos are folks that are either sponsored by a particular manufacturer or want to be sponsored by a particular manufacturer. And of course, if they want to be sponsored by a particular manufacturer, they're going to be blowing smoke up their arses left, right and centre. So, like we've said before, it's very you've got to filter out what's smoke blowing, what's just being trotted out by a sponsored shooter and who's actually giving an honest, unbiased opinion. But again, it is all very subjective, even the honest opinions. What works for one person in archery doesn't work for another. 
Hi, everybody raves. Thumb buttons and hinges, thumb buttons and hinges. Well, I'm too inconsistent with the thumb button. So, you know, I, I remember when I worked in an archery shop, one of the guys that worked there, his favourite line was, all the cool kids shoot hinges. So fucking what? So fucking what? You've got to, I've got to find what works for me and what I'm consistent with and accurate with. And I've got to resign myself to the fact that, you know what, maybe all the kid cool kids do shoot hinges and thumb buttons. The thumb button's not working for me. So it's back to the index finger for me. And it's back to finding ones that I'd like to try that are actually in stock. Uh, still at the moment with the aftermath of COVID going on and the EU trying to give the UK a spanking over Brexit, things are very, very slow coming into the country. Which brings me on to the latest addition to my bow. Was it episode 28, episode 29? I was talking about switching out arrow rests. I was shooting a cheap maximal drop away, which, don't get me wrong, never failed. Always dropped, but there was no micro adjustment on it. And I found if you wanted to do any kind of adjustment when you released the screw for your windage, you had to give it such a good tap to move it that very fine adjustments weren't really possible. You know, you give it a tap and it would move quarter of an inch, and then you'd be tapping backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. Wasting time, getting frustrated, trying to get it where you needed to be. And so I can't remember if it was episode 28 or 29. I said I'd narrow things down to either a Hamski limb-driven or the Trophy Ridge Sync MD. The QAD drop-away, the, I believe it's called the MTX, was like 250 quid, which is a ridiculous amount of money. The Trophy Ridge Sync MD, their micro-adjustable one, was 70 quid. But again, it's cable-driven. And if you get a problem in the field, you're buggered. You know, you, you need to press the boat to get the cable in and, out that, in and out the cable on the boat. So I was really looking at the limb-drivens. And the general consensus seems to have been they're a lot easier to set up. And I'd looked at the Trophy Taker Smackdown Pro Click, which was, what, 140 quid? Which for me is still an awful lot of money, considering my maximal was, what, I think 35 quid. The Trophy Ridge Hunter, Extreme Hunter that I've got on the Stinger and I had on the Epics, and I, uh, that was, what, 48 quid. So I was looking at the Trophy Taker Smackdown Pro, did the usual deep dive on it, which micro-adjustable and trophy taker smackdowns used to have an amazing reputation. Then apparently production was moved to China and they seemed to be having some quality control issues with them. Only if I remember rightly, it was a trophy taker smackdown that Anthony from the off-centre archers actually had come apart while he was at full draw. He was fortunate there was somebody next to him that said, for God's sake, let down, your rest come apart. And there are lots of stories about the springs in them failing or becoming detached. So their re their quality reputation seems to be a little bit on the skids at the moment. Like again, like I say, I could be totally wrong, but this is the impression I'm getting from what I'm watching and reading. So the other option that everybody seems to rave about is 
the Hamski rests. They do the primer, which is their entry level. I think that entry level is about 140 quid, but it's not micro adjustable. And it's got the two bearings the same as the Hybrid Hunter Pro. Hybrid Hunter Pro, I think, was about 160. And then there's the Mac Daddy of the Hamski rests, the Trinity Hunter Pro. The Hybrid Hunter Pro is set up like every other drop-away rest, be that cable or limb-driven. Two bearings on the arm. And then along comes the Trinity, and it's got an extra bearing on the end of the arm. And I'm thinking, well... The hybrid hunter you can have is either non-micro or micro-adjustable, but I decided I definitely wanted micro-adjustable. So it was either the hybrid hunter pro micro or the Trinity Hunter Pro, which is micro as standard. Like I say, the micro-adjustability is an option on the hybrid hunter, and there's just 40 quid difference between the two. And I'm thinking, is it worth the extra money for the Trinity but then I'm starting to think, well, if the the double bearing setup was all right, why would they come up with the Trinity? You know, was it just a way of making more money, another model to keep them relevant? And then I can't remember where I read it. Apparently, I mean, I, I don't plan on shooting mega, mega heavy arrows, you know, seven, eight, nine hundred grains. But for those folks that don't do shoot those, it can put extra load on the on the launcher arm and it can cause wear in the bearings how true this is i haven't got the foggiest but this was someone's theorizing behind it so i thought you know what if i'm going to spend this money why why buy the hybrid hunter micro and think oh should i have should i have what if what if i just took the plunge and decided to spunk the best part of 200 quid on an arrow rest I mean, this is nearly six times the amount that my maximal cost me. But I work for my money. I save up. I want this. This is going to be a rest that I want to last years and years and years. And apparently it will. So went through the UK suppliers. Uh, the only ones that were showing it were the Archer, Tony Weston's firm, the Archery Company in Sandy in Bedfordshire. And... Carl's Place, the archery shop down in Poole. Carl, the archery shop, was showing a two to six week back order on them. So I'm thinking, bloody typical of everything that's going on at the moment. So I phoned Ryan at the Archer's Nest. Right now, I think the archery shop wanted 199 quid and Tony Weston wanted 189. Phoned Ryan, said, I'm looking at this. Can you have a look if your suppliers have got any in stock, please, and give me a price? So he looked at SSA. He said they've just had a load in in all the different colours, only left-handed. Checked JVD. said, yep, JVD have got right-handed, but only in black. And you know what I'm like with patience. I have none of it. So I'm thinking, do I wait and have one in concrete, which is a grey colour which would match the Kuma? And I think, no, can't wait. I said, right, what could you do me for, Ryan? He said, 195 quid, which was in the middle of the other two. And I like supporting local, you know, I, Ryan gives amazing customer service. In fact, we're going to come on to something else Ryan does shortly that I only discovered on Saturday when Mark, who was on the last episode, went to buy some arrow shafts off him. Anyway, I said, right, all right, then at 195, 
when when's your next order going in? She said, next order's going in next week. I can, I'll have it, you know, week to 10 days, it'll be with me. I was thinking, wow, this is way better than two to six weeks. So said, right, order it for me. He said, will do. So day came for him to put in his order and he messages me, he said, Rich, I've got the stock levels wrong. They've got none in stock. They're on back order. Do you want to leave the order in place or do you want to see if you can get it somewhere else? Which, fair play to him, you know. Any other archery shop would have just said, back order, we'll leave your order in place. Ryan just knows how impatient I am anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I said, old fire, let me make a phone call. So phone Tony Weston down at the archery company in Sandy and Bedfordshire. And he's a lovely guy to deal with, Tony is. I said, look, this is what I'm looking for. Have you got one in stock, please? He said, let me just go and physically check. He said, I should have, but let me physically check because I don't want to give you the wrong answer. Came back two minutes later. Yes, I've got one in stock. I said, right, put it to one side for me. I'll call you back in five minutes. I'm just going to move some money from one account to the other and I'll order it and pay for it now. This was on the Thursday. Phoned him back, placed the order, paid for it. And Royal Mail in this country at the moment have been pretty shitty with their deliveries. They seem to be taking three, four, five days rather than one to two. So I was expecting it to turn up on the Monday or Tuesday, as I'd ordered it Thursday afternoon. Get home from work Friday, and it sat there waiting for me. And, oh, my God, i got a chubby at this thing. It is. It really is built like a tank. Took it to the club with me on the Saturday, and I've never had a rest that's as easy to set up the only thing that i've struggled with of all things was where you bring the cord around the bottom limb your little pad you stick on the limb that the cord sits over and holds it tying a freaking d-loop knot i can tie d-loops all day long when you've got both ends free but one one end's attached to something else it took me four or five minutes just to tie that fucking d-loop knot but apart from that if I'd have done that as quick as I normally tie a D-loop knot, less than five minutes, the thing would have been on and ready. And all I did for my centre shot, because Jeremy had got the, at the archery shack, had got the maximal bob on, I just measured from the riser to the centre of my shaft, bolted on the Hamsky rest, measured it, and, God, it's so easy to adjust on the windage. Just crack the Allen key, Twisted the little knob, watch the arrow swing into exactly where it needed to be. Check the vertical on it, and away I went. The only complaint I have got against the Hamski is there is a, a rubber arrow rest that sits on the shelf, on the arrow shelf of your bow. Self three M self adhesive backing. Put it, put it on. Walked out to try my first shot with it. And the fucking thing fell off. Fortunately, Andy found it for me in the grass. So that's now sitting in the car. I, I don't know what I'm going to stick it on with. I don't want to use super glue. I don't want to super glue it onto the bow riser. But I mean, if you lose it, these things are $10 to replace from Hamski. You know, it doesn't sound a lot, but when you've got to pay VAT and shipping on top of that, I really don't want to be losing this. So at the moment, it's sat in the car. I mean, it had been suggested I try hot melting it on. Don't know what I'm going to do, but... I say just by eyeing this into where the old arrow was, measuring it to where the old arrow was, pretty much perfect. I've got a little bit of adjusting to do, 
because at 45 yards out, I'm hitting just a smidge left. But I'm not going to do a French tune with my gold tips because the other thing I have coming is some new arrow shafts from Ryan. Because I'm set on using a 5mm ID shaft to hunt with when I go to Texas, I need the same kind of size for 3D shooting. Now, the victories are at the GPI I need, around 8.8 GPI, but I can't afford to spend 140-odd quid. And you know what 3D is like? Bad shot, missed, you know, uh, misjudged distance. You've missed a target, you bust an arrow. I tend to go through phases where arrows will last me and then I'll break a shitload in just a few weeks. The axis, I love the idea of. And they're only 96 quid a dozen from uh, the archery shop down in Poole. But they're over the 8.8. I think the 350 spine are about 9, 9.7 grains per inch, which they're reported to be a very durable shaft. But because of that GPI, to keep me where I need to be from a 300 feet per second, which is the NFAST speed limit, I'd have to go to a 350 spine. And... That means I'd only be able to run 100, 110 grain up front before going underspined on them, which means to, I'd, have, I'd have to use target points or buy external components, which again starts bumping that price up, which if I was a top-level 3D competitor, it would be worth it. But I'm not. I shoot for pleasure. I shoot because I love flinging arrows, and I do 3D as practice for my dream of harvesting an animal with a bow. So, Ryan at the Archer's Nest has started stocking a... Now, if any of you watch Stephen Han's YouTube channel, Archery Supplies, he owns the, the biggest archery outlets in Australia. You know, he wholesales an awful lot. And the guy is the Australian distributor. Distributor, or is it distributor? Distributor for victory. But... He had one of his views from his YouTube channel contact him about Skylon arrows. Having looked into this, Skylon are what used to be Avalon arrows, and the group that owns them also also makes the Maximal stuff, the Avalon brand, the Oak Ridge bows. And from what Ryan was saying, I believe it's actually owned by the European wholesaler JVD. Anyway, I was talking to Ryan about 5mm arrows and he gave me two. I think it was the Quantec and the Instec. Quantec are 9.4 GPI, which it means I've got to run a lighter point anyway. And the insert that comes with these actually from the photo looks almost like a half out. And he just double checked that the IBO speed of my bow, poundage, draw length and said, yep, you're coming up as a 350 using a 100 grain point. I mean, my gold tips are 300 spine because I'm running a 15 grain insert and 125 grain a point weight, so I've got 40 grain up front. So hopefully stepping down should allow me to, to 100, 110 grain. It'll keep me bob on for the 350s. Uh, the other thing I thought of doing 
was go with a heavier insert and a lighter point. You know, I'm looking at maybe going with the Victory Shock TL insert, the aluminium one, which I've used on the VAP TKOs. I do one for the VAP TKOs. It's really, really good. So I looked at the outside diameter on the instep, and it's the same. as should be about the same within, I think it's one ten thousand as the, I can't remember, it's a 350 or 300 spine RIP TKO. So, I don't know, and the aluminium shock TL, God, this is getting a right mouthful, isn't it? Uh, insert outsert thing is 50 grains, so I'm thinking I could run a 50 or 60 grain screwing point and still have 100, 110 grain up front, you know, lighter point offset by the heavier insert, and hopefully that'll give me a little more structural integrity a little more durability on the front end of the arrow so i ordered those and mark went across to ryan's on saturday to pick up some wooden arrow shafts more of this in a moment if the delivery arrived with my shafts in he was going to give me a call i'd have paid right paid ryan over the phone and mark had brought them back for me but unfortunately the uh delivery had been delayed like I say, it seems anything at the moment out of the EU, the EU, whether it's a conscious decision or not, I don't know, seem to be delaying it just for us having the sheer temerity and audacity to walk away from their corrupt little club. Anyway, Mark dropped me a message on Saturday night, and I'll actually read you the message because I never realised Ryan did this. The message says, Bloody hell, Ryan's spine and weight matching on wooden arrows is something else. He has each shaft in stock individually numbered and puts them all on a spreadsheet so he can organise them all by weight and spine. I've basically got 12 shafts that are pretty much identical. All I need to do now is learn to shoot properly because I can't blame it on the arrows anymore. Oh, that did tickle me. Anyway, so I phoned Ryan today, and when he answered the phone, I said, don't worry, Ryan, I'm not ch- I'm not seeing if those arrows have arrived yet. I know they won't have. Oh, that's it, yeah, arrows rather than shafts. When he placed the order, they actually came back to him and said, sorry, the bare shafts we haven't got in stock, but you can have fletch shafts for the same price. So he messaged me and said, you okay with that, Rich? He said, I know it means you've got some work to strip them off. And I said, yeah. Don't bother me. So I've got to say thank you to Ryan for that. Anyway, back to these wooden shafts. I phoned, when I phoned Ryan today, uh, I said, right, I need to pick your brains on something Mark said to me. And I mentioned this to him. He said, yeah, every single wooden shaft that comes into the archer's nest, he puts on the bare bore arrow analyzer, weighs them and measures the spine. So he's got an inventory of the spine and weight of every wooden shaft in his shop. And I said, so come on then. If I walked in and said, I want a set of 45 pound spined wooden arrows, what do you do? He said, well, because I've got each arrow numbered and on a spreadsheet, he can search by spine. And he said, right, let me try it for you now. And he'd got a dozen. He said, right, I can put a dozen together now that are all within 0.9 of a pound on spine. He said, and when I've done that, when I've sorted them all, all the ones by spine, I can then do by weight. 
So I could put you together a dozen shafts right now that are within 0.9 of a pound on spine and five grains on weight. I know trad archers who are happy to get wooden arrows within four or five pound on spine and 20 grains on weight. And I said to him, so do you charge extra for doing this? Now, I know it sounds like I'm blowing smoke up Ryan's ass. I'm not. I get no benefit whatsoever from saying this, apart from the fact that it's supporting a local independent business and it's always useful to have a decent archery shop you can trust that you know is going to look after you to the nth degree, close to hand, so I haven't got to drive 50 miles or 120 miles down to London or 150 miles down to Poole. You know, so I'm, I will, we live in a world where social media is so full of negatives and keyboard warriors wanting to bash companies. Yes, if I've got a complaint, I'll say it. But likewise, if I receive good service, I'll shout it from the rooftops, which is why I was so bloody impressed with the service I got from Tony, uh, the archery company. You know, the guy's an absolute gentleman to deal with, same as Ryan. But what I'm going to do, Oh, yeah, I said, sorry, I said to Ryan, do you charge extra for this? He said, no, I'll just record all my arrows as I come into the shop so I know what I've got and I can put people decent batches together that's going to help them. So this is including the standard price of a dozen wooden shaft, which is less than 25 quid. What I'm going to do is I'll drop a link to Ryan's website and the shop's phone number in the description to the podcast. Now, I don't know whether he ships internationally, but as far as I know, he ships anywhere in the UK. He'll deliver, you know, he'll post out to anywhere in the UK. So if you're into some wooden shafts, give him a call, click on his website, send him a message on Facebook. You know, he, he was he's always so willing to help Ryan is. Uh, anyway, yeah, talking about how he, how he does this, he uses the Bear Paw Arrow Analyzer. I've used one of these. Briar Rose has got one. And one thing I wanted to do, now I've got Eastern Axis shafts, which are considered a really, really good hunting shaft. You know, uh, the Victory RIP TKOs, which are, for me, they're a fucking expensive shaft. And I'll have these cheaper Instex. That's what about the Instec, the Skylon Instec. 48 quid for a dozen shafts. I thought my gold tip ultralight intraders were cheap at 72 quid for a dozen, but 48 quid for a dozen shafts. I was going to order two dozen, but I've ordered a dozen just to try them out. If they work, I'll order another dozen. I mean, I think with these, because I'd like to start playing with some much longer range shooting just for shits and giggles, everybody says what an absolute scream it is shooting long range. I'm going to four-fletch them, 90-90-90-90, with a 1.75-inch X-vein. So obviously the Blazers are a high-profile vein. For me to get maximum travel out of my scope without vein interference, I need a low-profile vein, a small low-profile vein, and I know the the X-veins shoot really well, the boning X-veins, but I'm going with the boning X-3s, and I'm going to run a four-fletch. So I'll have the the veins at an angle i shouldn't get any problem with cable clearance 
clearance on the riser because they're such a low profile vein but now i'll have the three different brands of arrows here i want i want to see how accurate they are in when they say they're a 350 or a 250 spine how close they are to that number and what spine variation there is around the shaft i could use the bare pore analyzer to do this but what i really want to do is roll them under a dial gauge so i'm going to i had a word with one of my friends rich and i'm going to do a drawing up and he's i'm hoping he said he will that he'll make me up a spine testing and straightness testing jig i you know just let me know what it's going to cost me he's fortunate that he owns a machine shop this is what he does for a living these things and he did give me a cost figure of one that he'd made for somebody else and i was amazed how cheap it was and i showed him the ram spine tester uh i think it was on cba's website and it's 339 quid and his jaw nearly hit the floor at the price of it he said that's basically daylight robbery and no it's not cba setting the price this is the price you know they have to make a markup on what ram sell it to them at he said rich that's daylight robbery that ram are charging that much for that so i can make one at a fraction of the cost so i'll get him to build one for me the one thing i can't wrap my head around with the bare pore tester is you press it down on one side spin it on rotate the shaft 180 degrees and press it down the other and that gives you an arrow straightness you know how can you tell just from two sides whether it's a thou straightness, three thou, five thou, six thou, or, you know, worse than that. So I want something that looks like the ram spine tester. So A, I can check the spine of each shaft. I can check the spine variation around the shaft. And I can check the run out to see how, how close they are. I mean, general consensus so far seems to be the most accurate arrows so far for straightness and spine consistency, a black eagle. But again, Black Eagle aren't cheap. And I think from what I've read, there's a little bit of a reputation for some fragility. How true that is, I don't know. I can't comment because I, I've never shot them. I've never owned them, never shot them. All I can go is anecdotal evidence from other people. Again, if, if you read the bump from the companies, you know, these are the toughest, greatest arrows ever built. Well, they're not going to say these are shit and fragile, are they? <laughs> You know, that was the Gerald Bratner model, business model, and we all know what happened to him. But the ones I'm really interested in, I mean, super interested in seeing the spine variation on, are the Eastern Axis 5mm. Most carbon arrows are made by wrapping round mandrels and made by wrapping round several different mandrels. You know, you'll have all these mandrels in a factory with folks wrapping them round. And... I think it was on an Eastern factory tour that I watched on YouTube where they said something as simple as the operative wrapping it a bit tighter or a bit looser, you know, more pressure or less pressure can have massive variations on it. Eastern's axis are what, if I remember right, they call it a carbon pultrusion. They're not wrapped round, multi, you know, you haven't got 20 man, 25 mil mandrels in the factory, all with different people wrapping carbon round and the variations in tension, you know, production tolerances between the different mandrels. They have a single mandrel for each size and the carbon's woven round it so there's no spine. 
Eastern claim that this means you don't need to knock tune, you've got no variation in spine around the arrow, it is consistent. And, you know, you can buy a dozen of these this week at a 350 spine and a dozen of them in three years' time at a 350 spine and they're all going to be the same. They reckon it's got the tightest spine variation around so I'm going to be really, really interested to see what happens with these. Again, doing them full length. And, I mean, I discovered, and I come across this briefly using the bear paw tester. It gave two spine readings. Uh, if you bear with me, I've actually got some notes here. There's a what used to be the AMO and is now the ATA measurement, which is the Archery Trade Association which was formerly the Archery Manufacturers and Merchants Organisation, their deflection is measured with the arrow over a 26-inch span and with a £2 weight on it. The other way of measuring deflection is ASTM, which is the American Society for Testing of Materials, and the way they measure is... The shaft is suspended between a 28-inch span and has a 1.94-pound weight suspended from it. Whichever one you're using, you can work out the other. Uh, if you want to know, if you measure an ATA style at the 26-inch span, you divide it by 0.825 and that gives you the ASTM measurement. And if you're measuring ASTM at the 28-inch span, you times it by 0.825 and that gives you the ATA measurement. And this is going to be frustrating because I really, really want to get these arrows built when the shafts arrive. But I also want to do all this measurement. This is me geeking out on archery, isn't it? Where I want to know these variables, you know, which has the tightest, least variation in spine around the arrow, which has the least variation in spine between the shafts. And which ones meet or beat their straightness tolerance. I think people say, oh, you know, 6,000, 5,000, 3,000, 1,000 straightness. I think what a lot of people forget is this is plus minus. So what people call a 6,000 straightness arrow, if it is within 6,000, you're doing really well because the advertised spec is plus minus. Or in the case of the... TK, the RIP TKOs, they're the gamers, which are the lowest tolerance. It's plus, it's not 5,000 straightness, it's plus minus 5,000 straightness, which means we could be seeing 10 thousandths in variation. Although when Stephen Hans from Archery Supplies in Australia was shooting, was shooting VAPs, he said he, there's no difference in his scores between the 5,000 straightness and the 1,000 straightness. So in his competition quiver, he's got a mixture of both. You know, it speaks volumes for victory if they really are that that consistent. But it will remain to be seen. Anyway, folks, I've been waffling on for quite long enough. Any thoughts, comments, suggestions? You know, the routine... ArcheryGeekOutdoors at gmail.com. Send me a tweet or a DM on Twitter at A underscore G underscore Outdoors. Or send me a DM on Instagram. 
Archery Geek Outdoors. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Feel free to share the love, folks. I'd love this podcast to start growing. Actually, say that. I've gone through, I'm almost, I've gone through 2,400 plays now. I'm almost at 2,500. Oh, before I go, my God, yes. I've got to say a massive thank you to Andy Clipson from Paget. Shooting round with Andy on Saturday, we had the most amazing round. Lots of shits and giggles, just flinging arrows in good company. But, you know, Andy actually knows my shot cycle better than I do. It's scary, really. When a shot breaks, he will know. If I've healed the bow too hard, as soon as that shot breaks, and he ain't afraid to give me a bollocking for it. I mean, the round we shot, the previous round I'd shot, the 45-yard bear, I thought, I'm going to put three arrows at this. I knew I was hitting slightly high and left, first and second arrows within half an inch of each other. I was so pleased at that. And I'm to shoot my third arrow. As the shot breaks, the first thing I do is drop my bow arm to see where the arrow's going, and it hits about eight inches low, perfectly in line with the first two, just about eight inches low. And Andy really isn't afraid to give me a bollocking about this. He knows that if I shoot a group, my last arrow is going to be always a wank arrow because I get that excited about a good group. And it's me letting my shot cycle break down, isn't it? And dropping my arm with that excitement. I mean, when it comes to Texas and hunting, first arrow, I can, I'm, the more I'm practising, the better I'm getting. How, how it goes when it's a living critter in front of me, I don't know. Am I going to get that buck fever? Am I going to get that target panic? I don't know. Nobody can say until they're at full draw on their first critter. But... I know it's like my last arrow always lets me down and Andy's not afraid to bollock me for it, which I need. Anyway, we shoot the bear and I took a really good shot. And he looks at me and says, you're going to shoot a group? I said, no, of course I know the last one will be shit and you'll bollock me for it. And he just stood there laughing. But yeah, Saturday was an absolutely awesome round with Andy. And the last target of the day, his first three arrows were, he'll admit, he'll admit it himself, they were shit. And I, I just said to him, come on, you wanker. You can do this. We know you can do this. You're a fucking good shot. Get your head into gear and just fucking shoot that target. Three arrows, all within half an inch. And when the when you heard the sound of the first shaft rattling off the second one, he's buzzing. And I said to him on the third one, come on, do it again, you wanker. And when you heard that third arrow shaft rattle off the other two, he just punched the air and shouted, you know what, I was so fucking pleased for him. He's such an awesome shot, but he's got, he won't admit he's a good shot. And, you know, this game's so, so, so much a mental game. And, you know, when you get inside your own head and talk, you convince yourself you're not a good shot. And the bloke's a fucking amazing shot. You know, when he gets his head right, he'll nail anything and everything with his recurve. 
and it's such a pleasure to shoot with him. I mean, we're going in the woods and I shout to his wife. Well, Nick, you've already heard of at the start. You've heard from at the start of the podcast. Shout to him, right, Nick, we're off into the woods to go tug each other's shafts. You know, that just sets the tone for the round of shits and giggles. So I've got to say a massive thank you to Andy for knowing my shot cycle better than I do and being able to bollock the shit out of me when I do it wrong. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get back to email me at archerygeekoutdoors at gmail.com, Twitter at A underscore G underscore outdoors, and Instagram, archerygeekoutdoors. Share the love, folks. Let's grow this little baby of a podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Stay safe. Shoot straight. See you next time. Good night.